Hello, my Rebels. Today's podcast is about a little history lesson of why you don't let the king or the speaker of the house or the government ban MPs from sitting in parliament, even during a time of a plague, even when the king really, really, really hates the MPs. I'll talk to you a little bit about King Charles in 16. 42. And before you say that's boring old fashioned stuff, I said, no, it's not. It's a lesson for why we don't let people kick out MPs from Parliament lightly. Uh, before I get to that, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's a video version of this podcast. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Netflix. You get my show every day, Sheila Gunn Reed, Andrew Chapados, David Menzies and the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping one of the few independent news companies in Canada survive without a dime of government money. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, I've got some crazy stories about how far vaccine mandates go. Some will make you laugh and some will make you cry. It's October 28th and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Why? consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. We don't teach history anymore, so we forget many lessons. We forget the reasons for why we do things, for our customs. We forget the struggles of the past and the price we paid for them. And so the lessons that we're learned through suffering are forgotten, and we throw them away not knowing what we're doing. I could literally be talking about anything, from how a culture deals with sexuality to civil liberties to foreign affairs. I mean, go read the 1911 poem by Rudyard Kipling called Danegeld and tell me we're not making every one of those mistakes today in our foreign policy with China and frankly every enemy. It really is true those that don't learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. Do you really think we're in unprecedented times? Do you really think we're the first people to grapple with certain things with a, with a plague? with the flu. We're not. We're just probably the morally weakest generation to deal with anything tough. I mean, 20 years of safe spaces and trigger warnings. Are you surprised by how our culture is handling things? And hey, you just wait until these insane woke lawyers become insane woke judges. Good luck to all of us then. And I say this because I think of our parliament and how it has totally been neutered. Do you think this is the first time that this has happened? Do you think that this time, the pandemic of the 2020s, is the first time in history the governments preferred to rule by fiat rather than through public debates and votes in the House of Commons? Do you think it's the first time that governments have tried to keep MPs from sitting in Parliament? Even the first time parties have tried to keep out their own MPs. Do you think in the 800 or so year history of parliaments in the UK that no one thought, I can cook up a scheme to keep out my political rivals? And I say all this because the political fashion, the political excuse of the particular moment is that some MPs are not vaccinated 
or at least they don't want to answer that personal question. They're not sick. They, they don't have COVID. They're just not vaccinated. By the way, as you know, being vaccinated, vaccinated doesn't mean you're not sick either. You can be vaccinated and carry the virus and get sick. The whole question is like that Abbott and Costello skit, who's on first, or you've probably seen this meme on Facebook. You know the one. The protected need to be protected from the unprotected by forcing the unprotected to use the protection that didn't protect the protected. I, I know you think that doesn't make sense, but who are you to question St. Dr. Teresa Tam or Anthony Fauci? You know, they just made a Disney movie about him. He's so great. He's so wise. For some reason, the movie didn't include the deeply disturbing news just this past week that he approved medical experiments on dogs so horrific that I dare not tell you the details of how painful and pointless the experiments were other than that the dogs howled in such agony that they were debarked before the torture because it was upsetting the scientists. That's the satanic priest we're following here. It's not science, people, because you're allowed to question science. But what did they do in the last parliament to be beset by a real plague. Do you think maybe there's anything we can learn from that? And I mean a real plague, a plague that killed one in six people, not one in a thousand. You know, so far there's been about 28,000 COVID deaths in Canada, and I regret that. I am skeptical of that number because it includes anyone who died for any reason who happened to test positive for COVID within the 28 days before the death. I wonder if they even include traffic accidents in that. So I am skeptical of that reason, but let's accept it nonetheless. If we accept that statistic and we know that there's around 38 million Canadians and we know that fewer than one in a thousand Canadians have died from COVID and those that have their average age is 80 and they were on average very sick or very fat. So not even one in a thousand people in Canada have died from it. Compare that to the last plague in the 1660s in the United Kingdom that killed 15% of the people it touched. Now that's a plague. So what did they do with their parliament in a real plague that was really devastating people? Did they send their MPs and their lords, or whatever exactly they were called, members, I think they were called. Did they send them home? Of course, they didn't have Zoom or Skype then. They didn't have telephones or telegraphs even. So what did they do? Well, here's a quick line or two from the UK National Archives. Uh, here's what their government did, and I'm just reading from their government website here. Charles II, that was the king, and his courtiers left in July for Hampton Court. And then Oxford. Parliament was postponed and had to sit in October at Oxford, the increase of the plague being so dreadful. Court cases were also moved from Westminster to Oxford. Okay, so they didn't close for a year or two like we did. They just moved down the highway 60 miles from London to Oxford. Parliament was shut for a few months, but then it opened up again in Oxford. Same thing with court cases. They didn't just shut down. I'm sure they kept out anyone who obviously had the plague. And, and by the way, I think if someone is sick, they should not go to work. I mean, I had a regular cold 10 days ago. Uh, I took a COVID test. It wasn't COVID. Um, I stayed home anyways. I, I didn't want to cough and wheeze on people. I think you generally should stay home out of courtesy if you're sick. Same thing with the plague. Same thing with COVID. Um, but understand Trudeau's parliamentary 
uh, committee is saying that if you're an MP who is not vaccinated, you may not come into Parliament to take your seat. So you can be fit as a fiddle. You can be healthy as a bull. You can, in fact, be more immune than a vaxxed person because you may have got sick and then recovered naturally, but you are still banned from taking your seat in Parliament? Yeah, no, that's what I mean about learning from our history. Over the centuries, do you doubt that kings or would-be kings tried to cook up some scheme to ban MPs from the parliament? Oh, you bet they did. Hey, did you ever wonder what that's all about? The fancy ceremony in the opening of parliament with all the strange antics and people with strange name like this one always made me laugh. The gentleman usher of the black rod. Isn't that funny? And the whole ceremony of closing the door in his face three times. You know, there's this whole, it's like they're doing a puppet show or an old play. What's that all about? Probably some musty, fusty, old-fashioned stuff, right? We don't need to learn about that, right? Well, in 1642, King Charles came, with, came to Parliament with armed men, and he marched right up to Parliament, 400 troops he had. He attempted to arrest five members of Parliament. The king did. Here's a painting of it. The Speaker of the House is the one on the bent knee, and he was begging the king's pardon, but refusing to help the king arrest the five men. He sided with Parliament against the king. It was a showdown. It actually led to a civil war in the end. So yeah, you know what? Members of Parliament have a historical right to be in that bloody Parliament, even if the King himself tries to arrest them for any good reason or bad reason. You, you just can't. This is what I mean about learning lessons so hard, so painful the lessons. And in that case, they were a cause of a civil war. Imagine not knowing that and then saying, sure, yeah. Just because Justin Trudeau want, doesn't want to let an MP in the parliament, that's good enough for me. I mean, there's a plague out. Just ask Theresa Tam. She says so, so that's enough for me. Really? They fought a civil war over that. I wonder, I wonder if um, these new rules could ever, would ever be used to keep out other people for any other reason to say, keep your political enemies from sitting in parliament. Here's what Maxime Bernier said today. He said, if the House of Commons can expel MPs who made the personal choice of not being vaccinated, can it also expel those who refuse to use politically correct pronouns and reject wokest dogma? Is cancel culture compatible with democracy in a free society? You know, that's a good point. I sort of wish that Aaron O'Toole had made that point. I think he's right. I say again, these people being kept out, these MPs, they're not sick with COVID. They're not sick at all. They might be more immune than any vax person. It's just an excuse to keep them out, name them, shame them. And what does the great conservative leader, Aaron O'Toole, have to say? The leader of the opposition. <laughs> Is he actually opposing anything these days? Will you try to make sense of this for me? Take a look. Today, the Conservative caucus met. I put forward a plan and the caucus agreed to respect and abide by new rules which require parliamentarians attending the House of Commons and Senate to be vaccinated. At the earliest opportunity, a question of privilege will be raised in the House of Commons to challenge the improper conduct and precedent set by the Board of Internal Economy in their meeting on October 19th. Only the House of Commons itself can determine its composition and its conduct both before the Speaker or House rules 
and after they rule, the entire Conservative caucus will respect and abide by all the rules and all health guidance. What? What? You, so, so there are unvaxxed Conservative MPs, I take it, and O'Tell, O'Toole has, in a private meeting, whipped them into sub, submission. So he has got them to promise not to go into Parliament, but he's mad about privilege or something. What Did, did you understand any of that? So he has forced new rules on his own people, but he's challenging the fact that Trudeau's people had the same rules first. This, he's really excited about this. Maybe Trudeau will give Aaron O'Toole a cabinet seat. That's, that's all he really seems to want. At least in the Commonwealth country of Australia, their legislators have some courage and an Aussie sense of humor. I want to show you this report from Avi Amini in Melbourne, Australia. That's the capital city of the state of Victoria down there. I'm not going to show you the whole thing, but here, watch a few good minutes of this, of this rebel parliament by real sitting legislators. Take a look. We've been around for 23 years, never segregated anyone, never discriminated against anyone, and we didn't want to start doing it now. Breaching of a public health order can now be a, a two-year prison term. It's interesting having the parliament guys out. It's good, it's good having them here. They're giving themselves ongoing lockdown powers, and this is going to, instead of ending in December, this is going to roll right through 2022. This is what every parliament is lacking. Love you, Minnie, here in Melbourne, Australia, for an unprecedented story. This is what, I don't know, we can only describe it as a shadow parliament. In fact, probably a rebel parliament. We have three members of the upper house that have been banished because they refuse to show their vaccine passports. They even refuse to show their medical, their private medical history. Let's check out what's going on here. Here we go, we've got Member of Parliament, Catherine Cummings, over in the door. How are you doing? Is this the Parliament? This is Parliament in the basement of the Rebel Parliament. Rebel Parliament, we'll go with that one. Australia is in such a terrible place and it's about to get worse. The Premier of that state of Victoria, Dan Andrews, who by the way, has done secret agreements with the Communist Party of China. We'll talk about that another day. He's bringing in permanent emergency powers for himself, really like a Castro-style permanent revolution. It's getting awful down there, but at least you can say there is some opposition by someone, somewhere, just, just not here in Canada. Oh, well. It's no big deal, right? It's just democracy. It's not life or death or anything. It's not like anyone you know, our past has fought and sacrificed for it. I'm sure we'd be fine without democracy. Not life and death, you know. I, I think maybe it actually is life and death. I see that British Columbia has fired 4,000 nurses and doctors. They were working great. They were heroes until last week. No problem. Many of them have natural immunity. They got the COVID and recovered. But they're, they're sacked now because of politics, not medicine, gone. I did not know that British Columbia had 4,000 surplus nurses and doctors, extras, that the system could do without. I, <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know the NDP treated working people that way. I didn't know they treated union members that way. I didn't know they treated the Medicare system that way. Now I know 4,000 people canceled 
The 4,000 people with the most courage, isn't that interesting, and the most ethics. What happens if you take the most courageous, most ethical people out of a system? What are you left with? Well, what are you going to be left with on the public health side? Let's just talk about that. You take 4,000 doctors, nurses, orderlies out of a hospital. What does that mean? You're going to cancel 10,000, 100,000 surgeries and exams? I bet that one move alone will kill more people in British Columbia than COVID has done. But don't worry because their premier Horgan, what good luck that he himself will get his own cancer surgery fast-tracked, faster than anything you or I could get. Thank God for that. Stay with us for more. so very busy uh, by the time you're watching this I am actually because we're recording this slightly earlier in the day um, I am going to be at Canada Christian College with a special town hall faith and F democracy conference featuring Glenn Beck Dr. Julie Panessi the ethics professor who in a very courageous stand was sacked by her university Western Ontario and is now working with the democracy funds so we're having a town hall about the crisis we're in. So much going on. As you may know, Rebel News has teamed up with the Democracy Fund to crowdfund not just to fight the fines tickets over the last year and a half, but to uh, try and fight some of these vaccine mandates, vaccine passports. In fact, we have a petition at uh, fightvaccinepassports.com. You can also read about the cases we have. And if you like, chip in to our legal fund. You'll get a charitable receipt for that from the Democracy Fund. I want to go now to uh, really our most active um, storyteller in regards to fighting back against these forced vaccines. I'm referring to our chief reporter, my friend Sheila Gunn-Reed, who joins us now via Skype. Sheila, how are you doing up there? I'm great. It was a very, very busy afternoon so far just dealing with fight vaccine passports cases. For me, it's so many of these people that were meeting through fight vaccine passports these are the people who truly make the world go round these are the people who bring you energy make sure that your shelves in the grocery store are stocked by keeping supply chains open these are the productive useful people of the world the middle class and they're under attack by these vaccine passports yeah oh you're exactly right these are the people who uh, while everyone else was either cowering at home mm -hmm. or luxuriating at home, these are the folks who were driving around, delivering you your food at home, working the hospitals, working the grocery stores, driving the trucks. These were the actual working people, and they were treated as heroes, and now they're being treated as zeros. They are literally being thrown out despite a career, in some cases, of decades. Yeah, I, I mean, I find it. I can't even believe it. And I'm an observer. Thank God I have my own job here at my own place. But I can imagine the feeling of powerlessness if you are an employee. And let's say you have a certain skill set. Let's say you're a, a, a jet pilot and you're 50 years old. Okay, so you've got a very particular skill set. You could go work for the other airline. Oh, but guess what? They got a vax mandate too. What are you even going to do? Well, and 
In the case of the Alberta firefighters that we are helping through fightvaccinepassports.com, they are literally heroes. They rush into burning buildings. And if you are in a car accident, you're bleeding on the street, they rush up to help you too. And they, of course, take precautions to prevent uh, communicable disease transmission. Right. They they still take those precautions with coronavirus and all sorts of bloodborne illnesses. And in with this group, there are people who won't take the vaccine. There are people who cannot take the vaccine. And there are others who are saying, I took the vaccine, but I am against medical coercion. And as firefighters, they're a brotherhood. They have to work together. Each other's lives are in their hands. And so they have this brotherhood where they are going to stick together. And I'm so proud that we're able to help them because they have the fight. They even had the lawyer. They just needed the money. And that's where the Democracy Fund came in. Well, thank you for saying that. And uh, after our interview, I will, uh, you know, I, I like these days on my show, Sheila, I show a YouTube video from elsewhere in the company. Mm-hmm. We tack it on the end of the show, and yeah. um, and that's the one we're choosing. You know, firefighting really is a brotherhood, and I think we learned a lot about that on 9/11. Um, just by the way, and we can put some B-roll of it up right now. Um, I, I learned that the actor Steve Buscemi, who's got that real uh, funny-looking face, he like he's quite a character. You'll recognize him immediately. Mm-hmm. He was a firefighter before he was an actor. I don't know if you know that, Sheila. Mm-hmm. And, and he went back to help. Like, he went to help on 9-11 as a fireman because of that fraternity. And it really is, you know, the, uh, imagine someone who will run into a burning building. Everyone else runs out. They run in. And like you said, they deal with people who may be sick, may have this disease or that disease. They're not even thinking of that. I mean, they are thinking that in terms of taking precautions. And now we're going to sack these people as if they are dangerous to us. This is a moral inversion. You know, I'm not that religious, Sheila, but I keep finding myself using that word satanic because I know that when you flip morality upside down, I'm not, I'm not really religious, but I just feel that that word fits when you take the, the most noble and selfless amongst us, and I'll put firefighters in there, you're bloody right I will. Mm-hmm. And you say, no, 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 you are the dirty, unclean, risky ones who are risking us, you're the enemy. What? What? It's like I'm looking at a photographic negative, true is false and false is true. That's why I use the word satanic. It's a shorthand for a complete moral inversion. Yeah, and as Albertans in particular, we we've learned the value of our firefighters i think over the last decade as entire forest communities burned down slave lake for example they were able to evacuate just i think everyone from that community fort mcmurray burning down firefighters are rushing in nobody died in the fire somebody did die on the highway during the evacuation that is in no small part due to our first responders in the case of you know our northern communities they are also the people there are very highly trained in um safety because of the oil patch but i mean these people truly are our heroes and they are facing termination they're being as you say treated as unclean dirty and irresponsible they're being treated as people who don't care about their community when their lives are on the line in defense of the community every single day 
Yeah, it's outrageous. All right, so uh, you connected with the firefighters and with the lawyer, I think it's Derek Fromm in that case, and uh, the Democracy Fund will bankroll the legal fees there. Now, you told me just before we turned the camera on that there were several other cases the Democracy Fund is helping on the vaccine passport file. Tell me what they are. Okay, so off the top, just today, we are helping some folks who work for Metro Links. That's uh, the commuter rail line, I believe, in Ontario. Yeah. And then we have CNRL, the people who keep our supply chain, or sorry, CNRL, the Canadian Natural Resources Limited. We are helping some folks from there who are facing uh, termination because of the vaccine passport on December 1st. And we must remember these people were also deemed essential workers um, by the Alberta government at the beginning of the pandemic because they truly are. If you want to flick on your light switch or heat your house or gas up your vehicle, an essential worker, an energy worker made that happen. They are being uh, put out of work. And CN workers, we're helping them. Uh, we initially reported on their uh threat letter that they sent to their employer and then we absorbed their lawsuit into the democracy fund and again these people as we approach the christmas season um they keep the supply chains open if there's toys for your kids for christmas on the shelves cn played a role in that and these workers played a role in that more importantly and they're going to be put out of work if they don't either uh get the jab or produce their vaccine status. And there's there's two sides of that there. So there are some people, again, who can't or won't get the vaccine. And then there are others who said, uh, I'm, j I'm just not giving you this information. It's not yours. And you have never mandated me to get any vaccine. So why are we starting now? Yeah. So um, the firefighters, Metrolinks, that's sort of the commuter rail in the uh, Toronto area. Uh, CNRL, that's um, an oil sands company. And then CN Rail. So yes. um, that's a lot of cases. Um, I think that's hundreds of people, Ezra. Yeah. So that's hundreds. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Um, when we started to conceive of our fightvaccinepassports.com project a couple months ago, um, I thought if we can fight back in certain institutions, we could fight for one client, but if we got the rules changed, potentially that could help everyone at that institution. Now, I want to tell you my great frustration has been the delay. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's because lawyers move slowly, but that's not the case here. I want to give you an example. Yeah. I was talking to one of our lawyers who's working on the BC case. We filed that lawsuit um, over a month ago, and yeah. the court just sat on it. They didn't issue it we had to write letters to the chief judge and say, can you, can you accept this lawsuit? We filed it. And then we gave it to the attorney general. 10 days have passed. They haven't even replied. So they're ragging the puck, as they say. They're slow walking that because they know every day they delay, people collapse and get the jab. I think the justice system, the court system, the attorneys general are deliberately making this as hard as possible to sue. And I'm frankly, it, it, it reduces respect for the administration of justice to have these things go so slow. I also 
have another reason for why these things go so slowly, and it is because there is, in some instances, union involvement here. Um, with the CN workers, some of them are contractors, some of them are represented by a union, and some of them aren't. But eat, uh, with Metrolinks, these guys are Teamsters. Um, with uh, the firefighters, they have their own union. Um, and uh, so what happens is when there's a union involved, the unions are choosing to grieve these cases individually. Now, they will deny the grievance naturally because the unions are siding with the employers in this case. But we have to go through that grievance process before our lawyers get involved, because once you become a, a union member, you sort of give up your rights to do all your legal rights to the union and you expect the union to act on your behalf, they just aren't. There are, there are a handful of courageous unions out there. That's true. It's shocking to me how many unions are what are called in the labor uh, union, in the trade union biz, yellow unions. Mm -hmm. company unions. They walk, talk, and act like unions, but they're actually in league with the corporation. Unifor is the worst example of that. Their boss, Jerry Diaz, is a total political ally of Justin Trudeau and probably sees himself with a political future beyond. So he's selling out his members to Trudeau. And I think so many of these unions are taking the company side against their own people. It's super gross. Uh, we've seen a little bit of fight back here and there, but not much. Some police unions, we, we saw it in the Melbourne area, uh, Australia construction unions. Hopefully some of these folks will be turned around. But I tell you what, we are lawyering up. I think we have about a dozen cases now. We'll, we'll keep freshening up our website at fightvaccinepassports.com because we have many stories to tell. But I want to let our viewers know we're extremely busy. We have more lawyers than ever, more lawsuits than ever. We are trying to stop it. Look, it's in the hands of these judges. I don't know what they will do. I am pessimistic, but at least by God, we're trying. Well, and. I should tell you that some of our efforts are already making a difference. For example, with regard to CN, their deadline initially was the end of October. Leighton got involved, fired off a threat letter. That deadline has been shuffled back to November 15th. That's Leighton Gray QC, the lawyer on that case. Yes, sorry. I, I've talked to him so much today. I, we're on a first name basis and I assume everybody else is too. But Leighton Gray, he fired off a threat letter to CN uh, in defense of the employees there who didn't want to divulge their vaccination status, CN blinked and they moved that date back and he thinks they're going to blink again once he sends another you know, letter. I'm so happy to hear that and hopefully uh, we'll see. I mean, it's actually the maniacs on the other side. British mm -hmm. Columbia went ahead and sacked 4,000 nurses and doctors. Insane, insane. Um, I think a lot of it is just they're testing to see what they can get away with. And if they're ever called on it, like Leighton Gray and the CN workers are calling them on it, they say, oh, we were just seeing what we could get away with. Yeah, we know that's insane. So I think the fact that so few people are standing up to it, and that's why I'm so damn mad at Aaron O'Toole, the wicked coward of the Conservative Party, who if he simply followed his job description, it's in his title, official opposition, if he simply opposed, in a, not a crazy way or a wild way, but just in a principled way, 
if you took a page out of Ron DeSantis' playbook, Ron DeSantis is not anti-vax. He's personally vaxxed. He's mm -hmm. set up vaxes all across Florida. He's got into monoclonal antibodies, which is another uh, absolutely legitimate therapeutic. Ron DeSantis um, is not an anti-vaxxer. He's just not a freedom-smashing statist. And if we had seen just a modicum of opposition from our opposition leaders and a modicum of conservatism from our conservative parties, I think we could have stopped a lot of this because people, I think the other side realizes what they're doing is insane. It's just yeah. that no one has stood, stood up to them yet. Well, and I think for normal people who might be vaccinated, they're they're not against the vaccine and they don't know how all of this affects them quite yet. Um, and you haven't even given a thought to, you know, your neighbors or your friends or your family being medically coerced at the threat of losing their job. Let me just tell you that these people that we are helping through fightvaccinepassports.com, these are the people who make the world go round. These are the people who make sure that every Everything you need is at the store when you want it. These are the people who make sure that the gas is in the pump when you need it. These are the people in the case of Metrolinx, they are there when you need to get to work. They take you to work and they're going to lose your job, their jobs. So even if you don't care about medical coercion, a lot of people are about to be mugged by reality if thousands of these people who make sure the world goes round, if they get laid off, and they're not there to bring you what you need and take you to work. Yeah, and uh, by the way, uh, we're seeing what's happening in the United States with supply chains uh, grinding to a halt. Gee, I wonder what'll happen if you knock out 100,000 people from essential industries in Canada. Gee, I wonder if that'll uh, make more shortages or less. I wonder if things will work better or worse. We already see thousands of uh, exams and surgeries canceled in British Columbia. Sheila, these are the worst of times. It's bringing out the worst in many people, but it's also bringing out the best in some people, the best in our viewers who have chipped into yep. the Democracy Fund legal defense a possibility. Sheila, I think you're doing a great job. As always, you were really the leader on the journalism behind our Fight the Fines initiative that was helping people with lockdown tickets, this vaccine stuff. And again, it's an uphill battle, and I don't even know if we're gonna win any of them, but we have to fight, and you're doing a great job. Thank you for that. And we gotta tell the story of all these because we've been so busy getting mm -hmm. it done. We gotta show our work, so to speak, we got to show our viewers and show the Democracy Fund donors what we've done. And I'm not saying that it's enough what we've done. I'm not saying it'll even work. But I just want to show people that we have not been idle these last months. Well, for me, I, I really find a passion in this work because I see my own family in so many of these. Um, but I want to tell our viewers at home and donors to the Democracy Fund, the gratitude of these people for your donations is overwhelming. They feel alone. They're facing the worst days of their life. They're about to lose everything and they don't know what to do. They're up against multi-billion dollar companies or the government. And because of donations to the Democracy Fund, they have some hope and they have the ability to fight. So I wanna thank everybody at home for that. Well, there you have it, Sheila Gunn-Reed, our chief reporter, absolute top gun. Great to see you, my friend. Thanks for your help. Thanks, boss. There you have it. Stay with us more ahead.
welcome back. Your feedback. Someone with a nickname, How About No, says, Ha ha, is this the Babylon Bee? What kind of half-wit would rely on a George Soros fact-checking outlet, let alone one called Good Information? Yeah, um, that's just so funny, isn't it? Sometimes people say, you got to change the name of Rebel News. You got to call it Truth News. Like, I, I probably still get, I mean, we're seven years into it. The name, we're not, we're not changing the name, people. Um, people don't like Rebel News. It sounds too negative. Um, some people thought it had to do with uh, the U.S. Confederacy. No, they were called rebels. Some people think it has to do with Lucifer, who rebelled against God. No, that's absolutely not what it is. It's just we have a rebellious spirit. We're rebelling against the establishment narrative. We're rebelling against the media party. We're even, in our early days, rebelling against the technology of the old line TV companies. We went all internet. That's what rebel means. But it's just our spirit that we're willing to zig when anyone else is willing to zag. Um, but people say, no, change it to Truth News. No, no, no. If you, if you call yourself Truth News, people say, oh, boy, you sure are, are sensitive about that. You sure want people to think you're the truth and you just sort of mention it. It's like, it's, if I may use an analogy, it's like Justin Trudeau and his fake feminism. When I see guys, male feminists, talk about how feminist they are, I think, yeah, we all believe in, in you know, treating women equally, and we, are all, we all have that understanding. The fact that you won't shut up about what an ally you are tells me you're actually running pretty hard on the subject, and you're preempting questions about it. Whenever I see a male feminist, I think of Justin Trudeau, Harvey Weinstein, Gian Gameshi, it makes me say these people are not that. And so, <laughs> the good information company. Yeah, uh, I think you just told us what you're not. Harkel says, this is like Darth Vader starting a rehabilitation center for injured rebel soldiers. Yeah, you know, I'll give Axios credit. Um, they did do a little bit of due diligence into who the people behind this, Democrat activists, fake conservatives like the Bulwark. Um, but let me tell you something. They will absolutely succeed because what we've learned over the last couple of years is the Canadian media companies, with pretty few exceptions, us, True North, Spencer Fernando, Blacklocks, have I listed them all? Um, every other media company will take the cash. They take it from Justin Trudeau. They take it from Google and Facebook. They absolutely will take it from George Soros. And if you don't think that Soros is giving money and expecting something in return, well, then I got a bridge to sell you. Tech Gantua says, Soros creating a fact-checking organization is like Jeffrey Dahmer opening a vegan restaurant. Yeah, well, I mean, that's another uh, analogy. And I just am uh, worried about the weaponization. And listen, I, I'm fine with some ordinary person or even extraordinary person calling us names, saying we're fake. I don't believe we are. You can have a difference of opinion. But that's not what this is about. This is about that official label then being used to silence you, deplatform you, shut down your account on YouTube, Twitter, or other social media. They don't just want to make the accusation that we're fake. I think they're fake. It's that if they put millions of dollars behind their fact-checking institute and label their enemies as fake, their enemies will disappear. That's why they're doing it. Well, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom. And let me leave you with a video of uh, Tim Owen uh, from Alberta, who is a libertarian 
and a fighter, firefighter, and he is a man of courage who was organizing other firefighters to fight back. And you know what? We're backing him through the Democracy Fund with a lawyer to fight. I'll leave you with that video. Good night. For our, we are there to back our people who are fighting for us against this mandate. That is the, that is what we're doing here. How long signs? It'll be one hour. We are aiming to walk over there here in about five minutes. Once we get over and set up, we're going to stand there for one hour. I got my headphones. I'm putting a little, little Bob Marley myself. I'll stand up. Get up. They're not anti-vax. In fact, many of them have been vaccinated and they're standing with their brothers in support of this because, I mean, they're, they're, some of them have medical conditions that are legitimate that prevent them from taking this vaccine. Some are currently, you know, on leaves of absences because of injuries they've suffered on the job and they're being demanded to vaccinate before they come back to work in four months. This is a contentious issue. Uh, it will create division if the unions fight, fight for this issue. Um, you know, they can be pro-vaccine and uh, anti-dismissal, but the, the current society doesn't allow for that nuanced position. So you got, you're either pro-science and pro-vaccine or you're an anti-vax nut. There's no ground <laughs> anywhere else. So, and the other thing is that these unions, uh, you know, they largely support politicians that support their causes. And those politicians, almost without exceptions, are also the most pro-coercive mandate politicians out there. So I suspect the unions don't want to ostracize um, the politicians that support them the most. The 20 lawsuits that we are launching across Canada are the fundamental line in the sand that we must draw to defend not only our freedoms, but to defend the very soul of the nation. I urge you to consider going to fightvaccinepassports.com now and signing our petition and contributing so that we can continue to provide the very best legal defense for the firefighters who are once again leading the charge into battle, this time in court. Adam Sos here for Rebel News, and today I'm going to be sharing with you the story of some Alberta firefighters who are fighting back against vaccine passports. Some are opposed for medical reasons, others for religious reasons, others still for ethical reasons. They are getting together and they are suing the government. When we heard their stories, we knew we had to get involved, and we knew that because of our generous supporters, we would be able to crowdfund excellent legal defense for these firefighters. Thanks to our initiative Run Through the Democracy Fund, a registered charity, we are mounting 20 legal battles across this country in our effort to take down vaccine passports. In just a moment, you're going to hear from one of those firefighters, Tim Moen. He joined Sheila for an interview about his story and about his opposition to these mandates. Now, the other big announcement I have, and this is just hot off the press, is that we have been uh, made an offer from the Democracy Fund, which is affiliated with Rebel Media and Ezra Levant. They're fully funding our legal action. So we're taking this thing all the way. We're never going to let this happen again. They mobilized a group of firefighters uh, who run into burning buildings for a living. They, they messed with the wrong people. After that, you're going to hear from Derek Fromm, the lawyer who is helping this lawsuit at no cost to the firefighters, thanks to your exceptional generosity. 
And finally, I'm going to let you know how you can continue to help this fight against vaccine passports and keep these firefighters where they belong. Employed, putting out fires, and saving lives. Sorry guys, YouTube doesn't want you watching this content. They don't think you can handle it. So if you want to see the real deal, you got to go to rebelnews.com as always, or you can click the link in the description below. Hey guys, firefighters never hesitate to rush into harm's way, but now they're asking for our help to defend their medical privacy and their fundamental freedoms. If you want to help, you can do so at fightvaccinepassports.com.